Chapter 22 of The Tickencoat Treasure by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22 Black Bennett. On the previous night, we had trimmed the hurricane lamp that I had purchased in London as part of our equipment. Therefore, we soon had it alight and eagerly entered the doorway to explore. Riley went first, bending low, lamp in one hand and a short crowbar in the other, while I followed with an axe as one of the most useful of implements. The door had been forced from its fastenings and had gone far back upon its hinges, almost uninjured, save that it was split in places and badly twisted. Within, we found a rough-walled, close-smelling chamber, about four feet across and about nine feet long, low, dark as pitch, and to our abject disappointment, absolutely empty. One object alone we found within, an old leather drinking mug, hard, dry, and cracked, that lay in one corner, long forgotten. Riley's idea was that the place was a priest's soul, one of the secret hiding places of the Roman Catholic priests after the Reformation, so often found in old houses, and in this I was inclined to agree with him. Still, after a whole day's work, and a hard one, too, our raised hopes had only been dashed by a negative discovery. The wreck we had made of the wall was appalling, and if we proceeded for long in that manner, I dreaded to think what might be the amount claimed for dilapidations. My young friend was, however, enthusiastic and nothing daunted. He lit a cigarette and, puffing at it vigorously, silently regarded the yawning hole in the wall. No doubt it was a place of concealment for those unfortunate Johnnies who were so badly badgered after Henry VIII's decree, he remarked. Old Bartholomew was a staunch Catholic, and, of course, in his house any priest found shelter and concealment who asked for it. That accounts for the mug being there. The last man who occupied the place before it was closed up and plastered over probably drank his ale out of it. Well, I said disappointedly, We've made a pretty mess, and we'd better start to clear it up tidily before we do anything more. Method is everything in a complete search like this. Of course, was my young friend's remark. Only, I wish we could get a sight of that parchment which that drunken sot sold for half a sovereign. If we could, we shouldn't go on working in the dark like this. Ah, Philip, I said with a sigh. We shall never get sight of that, I fear. Purvis and his friends keep it too closely guarded. I wonder if they know that we are tenants of this place. Probably. Ketaway wrote to him two days ago. Then, knowing the kind of men they are, I feel rather apprehensive that they may endeavor to turn us out or do something desperate. Let them try, I laughed. We've both got revolvers, and neither of us would be afraid to use them if the worst came. We must mind they don't take us unawares. Men like that never fight square. Bennett has the ingenuity of the evil one himself. I reflected for a moment, and then said, If we only knew the identity of the victim of the tragedy, and could establish his death, we might have the whole crowd under arrest. Yes, but how can we establish his identity? Riley queried. They were smart enough to dispose of the body successfully. But if the police made inquiries, they might discover the cabman who was called, and by that means find out what had been done with the trunk. No, replied the young bank clerk. That girl Bristow could tell us a lot if she wished. You know her. Why not try to pump her? 
i don't think it would be difficult to discover something from her for she was horror-struck when they revealed to her the poor fellow's fate his suggestion seemed an excellent one but not at present practicable we were at that moment in possession of a house which our enemies were straining every nerve to search like ourselves surely it was not policy to leave it at that juncture empty and at their mercy riley did not care to remain alone in charge and i certainly was by no means anxious to live in that awful depressing place without a companion a careful review of the position impressed upon us the necessity of continuing our search we possessed certain documentary evidence which showed first that a treasure had been stored away secondly that it had been stored in a place of safety with the nuttons as guardians thirdly that the nuttons had been installed by bartholomew himself in the manor farm the old house in close proximity therefore we could arrive at but one conclusion namely that the treasure was stored upon the premises now in our possession if not why had the nuttons been established there richard nutton of the port of sandwich who was bartholomew's trusted lieutenant would surely be placed on guard in the vicinity of the secret hiding place sea dogs they all were and clever ones too probably few had seen more hand-to-hand -hand fighting and more fierce bloodshed than the seven signatories and their prize money had undoubtedly amounted to a handsome sum riley was impatient and rather headstrong he made lots of wild suggestions if purvis and his friends had hired burglars to search his uncle's study why should we not by similar means try and possess ourselves of that all-important document which the drunken nutton had sold to our enemies which argument was of course logical but did not appeal to me my own opinion was that if we acted firmly with caution and patience we should one day satisfactorily clear up the mystery still our position was irksome for we dared not leave the place for long together fearing that our enemies might be working against us in secret through several days we continued our search taking up the worm-eaten floorboards but exposing nothing more interesting than rat runs wrenching out the old oak panelling searching for any hollow-sounding places in the walls our investigation was certainly thorough for we took room by room methodically measuring sounding and making openings everywhere one morning the rural postman brought me a letter from seal explaining that the thrush had at last gone into dry dock where she would remain for three weeks at least to be scraped and patched therefore he was coming down next day to help us this was good news for with three of us on guard we could each be allowed more liberty so i went over to umpingham again and purchased another camp bed and some cheap furniture sufficient to make us up a sitting-room that same night it arrived and we then turned one of the smaller rooms on the ground floor into a smoking-room with three cane chairs a table and a window blind i met seal at rockingham station on the following day what ho sonny the burly skipper cried rolling his huge carcass from the train and slapping his great hand into mine my kit's in the van there thought you hadn't got a bed for me so i brought my own and a few other things and at the same moment i saw pitched out on the platform a sailor's hold-all lashed with rope well captain i said after giving instructions to the railway porter to wheel the skipper's luggage up to the manor-house and how are you fit as a fiddle doctor and his bronzed face broadened and beamed you cured that rheumatism of mine 
Then he halted and inhaled the air deeply. Christmas, he exclaimed. This does a chap good after too much sea. I can smell them flowers, and he glanced at some growing in the station master's garden. I never see flowers, you know, doctor. Together we crossed the bridge and entered the village. The bluff old fellow was dressed, as usual, in blue serge with a big silver watch chain of cable pattern across his waistcoat, and his nautical cap stuck slightly askew, ridiculously small for his enormous head. "'Seen anything more of them other swabs?' he asked, as he rolled along at my side. "'We've heard plenty about them,' I answered, but have seen nothing. "'They better not show their ugly mugs while I'm here,' he retorted meaningly. I laughed. Seal's roar of anger would in itself be sufficient to frighten away the whole of Purvis and company. When I took him into the grass-grown yard of the old house, he looked the place up and down and remarked, "'A bit dilapidated, ain't it?' I should reckon we might overhaul a ghost or two inside if we had a mind to. Ah, you're superstitious, Captain, I said. Mr. Riley doesn't believe in ghosts any more than I do. Come along and be introduced to him. We found Philip smoking a cigarette and reading a newspaper under a tree in the tangled old garden. Then, when I had made the instructions, Seal said, Glad to make your acquaintance, sir. Tuffy's job this, ain't it? You don't seem to have much luck up to the present. At every port I touched, I expected to hear that you had found the stuff and bagged it. You are best off, I think, Captain, I remarked. Up to now, yes. I sold my lot the day before yesterday to a dealer in Piccadilly for 846 quid, and I put that money safe in the bank, he said with evident satisfaction. I'd rather have modern money than a collection of old coins. But I'd like to see you get your whack out of it, Doctor. You deserve it. You do. Well, I said, we're having a good try to find where it is hidden. And then we took him inside and showed him how we were pulling the old place to pieces. Gee, Holsafat, he exclaimed with a whistle. You're making a pretty fine mess, no gammon. That landlord's hair will stand on end when he sees it. I expect so, I laughed. But now we've started, we must go through with it, and you must help us. Help her? Why, of course. Shiver me. We'll pull the whole crazy house down, if you like. The porter had delivered the skipper's sack, so we carried it up to the room we had prepared for him adjoining ours. Wait, you chops, till I've unlashed my kit, he said, addressing us. And bending over the white canvas sack, he quickly uncorded it and began to unpack. It was filled with a collection of articles that surprised us. Not only had he brought his bed, but also his big yellow oilskin. In case the weather was dirty, he informed us. Three fine melons from Algiers rolled across the floor. A box of cigars was handed to each of us as a present. And then, from careful wrappings, he produced two wicker-covered bottles of blackhead rum. Now, mates, he cried, get three glasses and we'll drink success to this outcome on Noah's Ark. Rum was not our habitual beverage before one o'clock in the day, but in order to show our appreciation of his good will, we each tossed down a little of the neat spirit after he had chinked his glass with our saying, Here's luck to all three of us, and a thousand of old Nick's best brand of curses on them swabs. Having locked up the place securely, as we always did during our temporary absences, we took seal round to the plough where we sat together in the little back parlor and, amid boisterous laughter, 
lunched off cold roast beef and mashed potatoes our usual fare for the menu of that rural hostelry was not very extensive the skipper whose normal state was one of hunger ate with an enormous appetite smacking his lips and declaring that after food afloat a bit of real english beef was very toothsome and so it was i recollected well the culinary arrangements of the thrush and the greasy gritty unappetizing dishes that sometimes came from the galley for our approval the home-brewed ale was a change too after his eternal noggins and a thirst being upon him he swallowed several glasses with great gusto then when we smoked and his big bronzed face beamed through the suffocating cloud he told us that we were certainly giving him a good time we had been laughing at some quaint remark of the skipper's and as the peal of merriment had subsided the innkeeper's sister who waited upon us entered to clear off the plates as she did so the sound of a man's gruff voice in conversation reached us from the bar outside seal's jaw dropped in an instant the merriment died out of his face he listened for a moment as though to make certain then springing up from his chair he passed through the doorway in order i suppose to get sight of the stranger i had watched the skipper's countenance and had noticed the puzzled expression on it next instant he was back to us returning on tiptoe the young woman had gone out and he closed the door quietly behind her then turning to us he said in a low hoarse voice of alarm his countenance entirely changed look here lads this is a blessed sight more than i bargained for when i offered to come down here and give you a hand why black bennett's here black bennett he added looking at our puzzled faces black bennett don't you understand End of chapter twenty two